you know, one of the things that I do believe in is that the best way to get stronger is with two feet on the ground and two hands in a bar. I think that's a really good way to get stronger. But as we talked about, that's just one physical capacity that you need in rugby. And then here we are. So this it must have been literally like two years ago at some point this month or last month, I reckon. Yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy. It's actually like <clears throat> you almost forget that the goal of this season was actually to just play rugby. Like to get back playing rugby was the, was the goal week on week. So like and now naturally you're going into that performance kind of like, you know, chasing everything that you should be chasing. But really like don't take for granted that we're, we're playing week on week. That's like the main goal. hundred <laughs> percent. And actually that's, that comes quite timely to me because my, the team that I coach, they, they, they lost on the weekend to a team that we shouldn't have lost to. And kind of because I'd rotated out a lot of the players and it was just to get guys game time. And I thought we were going to, you know, I thought we'd still win, but the point was <laughs> that like we made a few rotations and I was like, well, kind of we lost, but like at the end of the day, we're, this wasn't the goal to, to win this, whatever we're doing this spring, like it's not important. We're, we're building towards, um, you know, the next season starting September ish. And so it's okay to lose now because you've got to get reps in anyway, and everyone's got to get reps in. Yeah. So, so catch me up here. So you're back in America. Yeah. So I coach a club side and technic and, and, and technically I, I live here. So I travel about Green because Park. I try, yeah, I travel about because huh. I work online. So living the dream trying i'm trying it's 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 you know social media is is always the highlights right most of my days are fairly like we organize our weeks like so rigorously and it's the majority oh not majority yeah the majority of it like anyone normal is working it's just that when we have time off instead of going to the local pub the local pub might be something completely different or a beach or it might be a town wherever we are so it is i enjoy it definitely amazing so so, but you're you're a head rugby coach of the team that you work with. Yes, I make right. a point to not do fitness with them as well because we have ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes twice a week. Like yeah. one of the best things about rugby is how complex it is and how many different things that there are to work on. It's like an impossible. So Eddie Jones said it's like an impossible situation to resolve. And you want to try and create like a perfect game. Mm. And and it's even harder at an amateur level when you when you've got that that time. But to spend that time on fitness doesn't make sense. That's why I mean that's why I do the business that I do is because you've got to do that stuff outside of rugby outside of your your two a week practices really. And then if you if you get good enough, you get the high enough level, and then you train full time. That's that's when we we go see we have guys like you that step in and, and take full control. How much authority do you have with your with your bears? When you say authority, <laughs> as far as like. If your coach wants to punish them, does it? Do you ever get things? Do you ever have situations like that? Because you obviously you're in a professional setting. Do you ever have a situation where you you will clash with the coach who wants to do something that is you would see as a strength and conditioning coach unproductive, but he needs to, you know, either punish them with fitness or he needs to do something to get them together as a team or to wake them up or whatever it is, you know? Because sometimes the the rugby coach in people thinks. They can incorporate fitness, but they don't even, it's kind of hidden because rugby is fitness in general, right? If you just play mm. rugby, it's still incredibly demanding, which is going to be cut productive for you as a rugby player, 
and productive in ways for fitness, but it's still got to be considered, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, well, we've had at Biela three different coaches while I've been here. So it's, it's you know, my first default is, is, I would say that, you know, good relationship with the coach and then that kind of stuff um, doesn't doesn't really happen because it, it, and there's layers to be Ella. so you're saying professional but it's Serie A there are professional players there are semi-professional players and then there's there's yeah. amateur players the, the type of players that you'll be working with that are really dedicated but there's time constraints so so no I haven't had a clash per se because we're you get to know personalities and you get to know if, if the boys are, I don't know, are you allowed to swear in this podcast? Yeah. Yeah, you can uh, fucking swear. Well, okay, if the, if the boys are pissing off the head coach for whatever reason, coming in soft there, but if they're pissing <laughs> off the head coach for whatever reason, you kind of, you know, you know your head coach and if, if he's, if, if on the spot, uh, he's saying, right, go and, and do this, um, it might be a case of that if I'm on field and it's something that's not planned, then it could be just a quick, quick huddle and be like, look boys, the, you know, what's going on? Let the captain speak and then regroup and get back. So I can't say in the last four years, at Biela, there's ever been a position where it's like, right, you're doing this because, you know, whatever, it's the punishment. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's old school. I know coaches still do that. It's not something that I would promote or or want to bring in. I just think everything should, should, have a purpose, you know, why are we doing that? And, you know, sometimes fitness needs to be the priority and it needs to be done, but is like, it has to have sense. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, that's the, it's exactly the same reason why, like I can approach my stuff as a rugby coach, like in a different light, because I want to give people the freedom to be, you know, to have the space to do more stuff when they're away from rugby. And all we're doing is like skill stuff a lot of the time. Cause it's, mm especially now where we're coming to the end of the season, an unsuccessful season. So like, why not just get better as players? Like there's so much complexities because you've got, you know, you've got that aspect of like long-term skill development, which there are infinite amounts of skills that you can develop as a rugby player. And then there's also, you know, the the team tactics for the following Saturday ahead of, and we, you know, you, you said on the, other stream before we hit record. I hit record, by the way. I think you heard that. That you said that you're that you lost the to the team that you're playing this weekend because they'd really researched your set plays and they'd gone down. So that's time that they've spent away from developing their skills, and that's probably because their skills are already developed enough. But that's not most people. I think that's it's, that's such a it's such a bloody complex sport, and it's only it's only getting more demanding and more time intensive. And I, and I feel. For the amateur player, because the game is getting like the level is raising and raising, and the physicality is going higher and higher, mm-hmm. like, all aspects of the game is getting better and better. So it becomes, you know, even if you are an amateur, you know, playing all the way down the levels, it's still a, a huge demand of your time, and it requires a, a decent amount of devotion if you're gonna if you're gonna really try and play your best. Which if you're gonna play, you might as well. We'll get back to your philosophy on your strength and conditioning because I, I do notice some some key points that. I want to touch on, but before before we do that, I want to ask. So you're based in Italy, and mm. we've seen a lot of. Well, I've I've been noticing it for a few years, and it might be be because of Squid Rugby on YouTube. But I think they seem like they've they've sort of st- they're starting to turn a corner where they're looking to be competitive again. It was nearly I can't remember how many years it was without a Six Nations win. 
it looked like they were always struggling and people always putting them down and saying like, you know, do we need to every year? It's like, Oh, do we need to have promotion relegation? Then this year they were like, Oh, we're going to get South Africa in the, what in the six nations. Yeah. And then, and then they came and, and they came and beat Wales in Wales. And of, of course, even people might not be aware of this, but the Italy under twenties actually had some success and beat England for a first yeah. time. So that's only that's only going to bode well for the future for Italy rugby. Are you seeing it at your level? And if so, like, what, what's what's changing? In, in short, no, <laughs> I'm not seeing it because I'm not involved in in any of the national setup over here. Although our president is, he he's with the under twenties for every game. I think he's I don't know if he's a council member or he I don't know he he's not the manager but he's there. With, with the under twenties, they've they've always had and and by the way, I think it was seven years ago for the national team that last that won their last game because it was against Scotland. Ah. I think it was 2015. So <laughs> I remember that one. So yeah, so to go to the under twenties. I know they've structured it differently this season and I wasn't sure if that was because of like coming off the back of COVID or mm. because they want to change something for the better. So for the under-20s, they've, they've historically been able to get um, better results than the national team in the under-26 nations. They've, they've hit fourth place, fifth place more often than the national team. They used to use a structure where the academy would be, so pretty much the, the Italian under-20s team would play week in, week out rugby in Serie A. So they were in our league and we played them. And it's, you know, that was, it was always a very, very good game. They tended to peak. They tended to be at their best rugby, you know, for the second part of the league because they were prepping for Six Nations. Mm-hmm. This season, however, the the boys have been, they're, they're not playing together in Serie A and, and they're they're aligned with the, the, the pro squads, much like the model is in Scotland. Now, I, I don't know if that has made a difference because it could just be that the group are really, really good this year because it's, mm-hmm. it's age great. You know, it's always changing. It could be that the coaches are doing a really good job. There's, there's a lot of factors. Certainly watching it in a rugby club, it's, it's a very positive atmosphere, let's say. But but yeah, it's hard to say. I just noticed this year that they're training. Uh, they've aligned themselves with the pro squads. And for the the national team to get a win in Wales, yeah, I mean, really, really difficult to do. But like... Like you said, it was time. I think seven seven years, I think. I'm pretty sure seven years ago. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but it's a long time to go without winning the Six Nations. And it's a really, really tough competition. But yeah, I mean, at the, res- at the end result, you know, that's really good. They got that win, but they were still, they came last, right? They're still sixth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, it's... Because Wales beat that. Scotland. Eh? Because Wales beat Scotland, right? So then they, and then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. We won't talk um, about that. <laughs> yeah so in terms of the national stuff you know I don't have a, a a good insight into what's going on there for sure but just things that I'm noticing and from speaking to people that are sort of associated with with the national setup that's kind of what I know that's going on has it has it turned a corner I, I, I don't know what what makes you say that is there maybe not maybe I've, I've always I've always seen the positives that they do and I think seven years without a win it, it like in the Six Nations, quite dramatic. But you've got to remember the high levels of the opposition that they're always playing. And a lot of times there are like, you know, even with the losses when they're like 30 or 40 point losses, there are those points in the games always early, it looks like, the first, at least, or the first half or so where they they seem to be playing some good stuff. And you're like, if they just if they just click, like they'll, mm. they'll be able to eat, like get a win and even get quite a comfortable win if they do things right. And it always, you know, winning is a habit. And so 
they're so far removed from that habit. Like even when they play teams that they're significantly better, and I think they played, did they play Georgia uh, a couple of years back or last year? And they, they just managed to cross the line because they're just so unused to winning as a group. So I think they've got a lot of youth coming in that are yeah. like, they're, they're not carrying that old baggage. So I, I do think, I don't know if they're turning the corner or whether it's just, they've just kept, you know, blunt force going forward, going forward. And eventually like something's going to, something's going to give and they're going to succeed a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And would you, would you bring in a relegation from six nations? I think it should, should have happened anyway, just to, just to develop the game, even if it's, and, and, you know, the problem is, is that how powerful the, the home nations and those unions are that they don't want to go drop down. I'd like to see it, particularly selfishly, because Poland just got promoted to the European nations, D1A. So they'll be, they'll be playing Georgia in that lot. So I'd love to see that. But money talks. I just don't see it happening, unfortunately. Yeah. I'd love it to. I think it should happen because that's, if we really do, like, rugby's at that cross point where it's either going to grow the game financially in its home unions where it's already comfortable or it's going to grow the game by you know trying to not necessarily compete with soccer but but go global you know because mm. there is an opportunity for a sport like rugby to go global and it is growing and you see the women's game growing everywhere like massively yeah yeah so i think yeah they they should do promotion and relegation in my mind yeah i, I agree i think it would be Good for from our perspective, you know, and and I think people would love to see it. But will it happen? Like you said, money talks. I, I'm not not so sure. I'm not yeah. so sure. Yeah, I think we're more likely. Remember the last year and the, the during the pandemic, or was it before the pandemic? They were talking about that global season, and they were going to put like it was like going to be ten teams all in one, and there would be promotion and relegation and all this, oh. and then it just got swept under the rug because mm. money again. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk strength and conditioning. So we said that you, you coach, so some full-time guys, some part-time, some <laughs> amateur guys within your club. I noticed that you, you, you're you a big fan of heavy barbell lifting and you're you're quite a big fan of the Olympic lifts. Do you have like an overall approach to strength and conditioning that you like to use with those guys? An approach or, I mean... Yeah, I, I'd say like a philosophy. So is there anything that sticks out that you've like, you know that you would sort of hang your hat on as far as how you choose to develop these guys as athletes? Not like, okay. I know it's so uh, nuanced because I would hate being asked this question. So <laughs> I, don't, well, you know. I think philosophy and approach and, and all that stuff, you know, it's just taking out exactly what you mean by that. So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, one of the things that I do believe in is the best way to get stronger is with two feet on the ground and two hands in a bar. I think that's a really good way to get stronger. But as we talked about, that's just one physical capacity that you need in rugby. And also, it's not the only way to do it. In terms of approach, I would say that I have a holistic approach because, like, everything counts. We have non-negotiables, but, you know, life exists, okay? Sleepless nights exist, and breaking up with girlfriends exists, and, you know, just these things affect what's going on with a person which affects the performance that they can put in their, their mental health, their physical fitness. So that gets certainly considered and a program uh, might be like the perfect program on paper and the guys might come in and this happens many times where, okay, you know, your target is 110 clean today for three, that's your 80%, blah, blah, blah. 
but you can just see that that's not happening today for whatever reason. And we were using that to develop power output, not for any other reason. So it's like, okay, mate, I need you at this velocity. So I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing with my eye. Never mind a velocity device. Mm-hmm. So you think 90. If you hit this this 90 set for three and it looks fast enough, then yeah, we'll do 100 and then we'll go up to 10 and we'll just step load it instead of plateau load it. But yeah, so I guess the approach is holistic. Within that, you know, there's there's processes then that that I have. For example, I think getting strong underpins underpins a lot, and that's probably that is the biggest gap between a youth developing athlete and going pro. So that's certainly one thing that's really important, and it takes time to get strong. And um, and like I said, it's although probably that's what I show more of: squats, bench press, push presses, jerks, because I I do use the barbell lifts. It's not the only way to get strong, and it's not the only thing to do. You know, one of one of my favourite quotes was from a, from from a coach from Scottish rugby. He was saying, "There's no point in having a a one seventy bench if you can't do five dips on on the rings." Mm-hmm. Uh, that always stayed with me. I really like that. So I've kind of gone on a tangent there. But That's all good. I think <laughs> the point that I want to bring away from that is, and I, I I've just going to use to reinforce my philosophy is like strength first is always a good approach, and it's good because you know. I think when we deal with a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, Key is one for this. Like, you know, he always talks about how insignificant strength is for like professional rugby players or, or like high level rugby players. And I think that's because they've already met that barrier to entry, right? But if you're already below it, like getting stronger is is far more important than like so many other specific power things because you've just got, you know, your engine's still too small. Like, there's no point putting the 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 most optimal. I know. I don't know how I always go for car analogies and I don't understand cars. So it's a bad example <laughs> to use, but, but you know, your engine's tiny. You've got, it's, it's just not working and, and you know, you're going under the hood and you're trying to make it all shiny and stuff, but you still got a tiny engine. So you've got to build that engine first. And it's the same for aerobic capacity when it comes with fitness. That's like my overall approach is like both ends of the spectrum. And then the, the middle can come, will come along like quite easily. As long as you get those, good enough then work on the middle because the other thing about the middle is it's also incredibly fatiguing compared to top end strength which doesn't require too much volume you know once you get to ridiculous volumes that's probably when you're strong enough and then aerobic capacity it's not requires a lot of volume but it's such a low intensity it's not going to fatigue you yeah absolutely i mean you've got to take the low-hanging fruit you know that if you you've got a young developing guy and you get him stronger by whatever means whatever you're using to to train or assess that like that's going to have make a difference on his acceleration that's going to then make a difference to his rugby being able to absorb impacts depending on what position he's in make a difference in the scrum etc so yeah just taking the low-hanging fruit and like you say Going from one side of the spectrum to the other side of the spectrum, totally agree. That's that's really important. I think once you are at certain standards, so like you said, there's merit for being more specific or tailored or just boxing a little bit. It's probably not the right terminology, but that's where you need to be in that middle zone a little bit more, perhaps. You know, there's no point in squeezing out, you know, okay, you squat 200 kilograms, we're going to dedicate your training because that's what it comes down to. It comes down to like time. We're going to dedicate your training to a 220 squat all right, but actually, you know, you've got to scrum and line out. And then we also have to make sure that you're getting around the pitch enough. We need to account for that volume. So I'm not going to be able to put the volume through you to get you to that 220 squat at this time. 
But that's why you have a model of, of the year. And when we're going back to that holistic approach, I guess one, one thing that's important is the guys understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, and some guys won't be interested. Some guys, you can put up the program three weeks before for the next six weeks, like the template program, and they won't look at it until that morning, 10 minutes mm-hmm. before. Other guys mm-hmm. will want to know exactly the detail. They'll want to sit down and have a coffee. They'll want to know what you expect from them here and there. And, and with regards to that, I use the, the Biomotors uh, ability model for the year. But again, like that that's just broad sort of capacities that you're that you're looking at there. And and within that, as as you know with rugby players, you know, there's groups of athletes that you'll well, this guy needs more of this, so he's going to be in this group. This guy needs more of this. So although there might be the same focus for for the overall squad, within that squad, there might be three sub-squads that are doing slightly different things. And then that's not even talking about individualization of of things that come up from the physio or injury history. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, rugby's complex. Stress. Yeah, it is. Models help, help you manage it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's, that, that's, that's why, you know, we do what we do, like coaching exists. Cause it's not like if it was just a, a program and everyone could do five by five or five, three, one, or, you know, name a better powerlifting program and, and they do that. And, you know, it's not, that's not the case because everything needs to adjust. And that's why we're moving into like AI now that's adjusting to your stress levels mm-hmm. and stuff. But again, it's a lot about, the, I think it's more about the person. We, 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 talk, we spoke about like both ends of the spectrum as far as strength and and aerobic work i also want to talk about both ends of the spectrum as, as far as like we've got strength and you mentioned how strength can improve your acceleration we've also got on the other end of that power spectrum we've got speed and i noticed you put up a you put up a video i think yesterday or the day before about a top end speed and how you develop it with your guys quality video i suggest people go and watch no it was no it's, it's a real like it's it's just stuff that people need and, and actual stuff about speed I think we again rugby tends to learn stuff from other sports so like powerlifting I already mentioned you know olympic lifting or whatever right and speed will learn a lot from track people but the thing is with rugby is that there's different types of speed for different uses so what do you what what's your idea of like rugby specific speed and how do we go about training okay when it comes to speed rugby specific speed is getting someone really really fast with a good rugby IQ. I think they, they need to have that understanding and experience so they can know when to, to you know, put on the gas, put off the gas. But the, the term is, is game speed, I guess what we're talking about. But ultimately you can, you can break speed down into acceleration, absolute speed, uh, agility, and, and just being able to identify, okay, we're, we're, it's, I guess it's like strength or anything that you're trying to change physically. It's like, where where is the gaps? Where where are my gaps if I'm an athlete? Like, am I am I not fast enough at the top end when I'm you know I've got the ball and free and clear but I'm getting tracked down? Um, then that would be yeah, let's do more absolute speed work. Okay, what does that look like? Well, it can be done with the ball. It can like top end speed I think works really really well with the ball, kick and chase. The, exa- the example drill that I put in that video that you, you referred to, like there's so many ideas. So rugby coaches love that. But yeah, I think. When you're talking about rugby specific speed, that word specific is 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 kind of a it's a dangerous word because mm-hmm. you know like there's there's so many different situations in rugby where speed is like there's decelerations, accelerations, and 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 agility and game speed. You have to factor in 
someone's IQ and knowing, oh, this guy's probably going to go there, so I'm going to get there before him, even if I'm slower than him, because I know he's taking that line. So yeah. the perfect rugby-specific speed solution would be identify what physical capacity is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Now, if you are 16 years old and you can't do a single leg pistol squat or you, you know, you've never, you never touched a barbell in your life, you'll probably get faster by doing rugby, go to rugby training, and also just follow a really simple strength program. That will get you better acceleration to a point, as we know, you know, that you know you can't just keep chasing that rabbit. So so yeah, it might be a case that okay, you're you've gone through a full SNC program for six years, you're 24 years old, and um, you're still not having the gas. Like, like okay, like where have you prioritized speed? Are you still following a four times a week gym program? and you're doing like one speed session in rugby, or maybe you're doing it twice a week, why not let go of the powerlifting squats? Like just do that once a week and you can make it jump squats. You're not going to lose like your strength in a block of six weeks just by letting that go and focusing more on speed. So I think the rugby specific speed comes down to identifying what physical capacity is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Going out and making improvements, measurable improvements in that physical capacity and couple that with rugby drills and rugby and watching rugby and just living rugby to increase your rugby IQ. And that's hopefully that's as simple as it needs to be and as simple as like like you said, sometimes you talk about speed and I'm ranting now, but just bear with me one second. You know, you get a lot of people that, that, are, that are posting on social media about all these postures and all these complicated things that don't like don't post results or don't see them like and, and maybe that's a data issue I don't know but it's like do you work with athletes I love the I love the theory that makes a lot of sense to me show me like sh- yeah show me that put it in a paper publish it in a paper I'll read it but you're not a published you know author so you know just don't confuse people like just give them the information that will actually make a difference that's that's something I've changed I've probably changed my mind on quite a bit recently is that with speed work like i've stopped kind of telling people like the postures and the positions that they're looking for unless we're like just doing like the real basic wall drill or the basic yeah either the wall drills if you're doing top end speed or if you're doing acceleration like both variations outside of that like you're doing some drills and you're telling them what to feel for but once you do the drills the drills themselves like you know basic a skips or bounds whatever it is they should like promote what you're trying to do as far as getting fast technically anyway. And then you just get enough reps in and the body will figure it out. I I think if you look at Usain Bolt's sprinting form by all, like if you get these top, you know, biomechanic people that, you know, think that how to run perfectly sound biomechanically, what Usain Bolt does is wrong. And they would, apparently they could chop, you know, a couple hundredths of a second or a couple tenths of a second off of his hundred meter time. Well, Sorry, that's the fastest guy that's ever run. So how how are you going to tell him that he's wrong? It doesn't make sense. I think there's just lots of different ways to go about doing it. But now it's like, yeah, less information, just more practicing of it. Like a lot of people love to overthink this stuff because I think it's the same with strength, same with bodybuilding, hypertrophy stuff. Like people love to overthink it because it makes it it, it makes there some sort of hope for like a magic pill. Whereas it's just like how do I get faster? Well, how, how often do you sprint a week? And they're like, well, just at training. And you're like, well, <laughs> you know, go out and practice sprinting. That's number one. Like, it's ridiculous how, how little people do that. And that's why it's so simple, right? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, when we're talking about sort of closed skill drills and, and easy skill drills, that, that might be something that, and, and that's something that a, a coach can lead you on. Okay, this is the, your priority of the program is uh, strength, let's say. Okay, your speed work is in there because, you know, you never, you know, you're always training some everything in rugby. Mm-hmm. It's just things have priorities, as you know. So we're going to do more of the, because you'll be t- beaten up a little bit from the strength work, uh, we're going to do more of the skill-focused work on speed. You'll still be doing speed work, but it won't be the priority. However, once you've got X amount of strong, which is week eight, by the way, because you're working with me and that's why we're doing it. We're following these percentage, blah, blah, blah. Um, you have to let go of that strength stuff. And now we're going to ramp up the speed stuff because you want to be at your best on game day. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked, speed was one of the most important things in your position. The athletes... They've bought into it. They understand why they're doing it. And sometimes the skill stuff on speed can be boring because, you, you know, they, they might have to go through a process of thinking about it. Why am I doing this? I just want to go in the ball and do, like, you're doing this because you're trailing leg, blah, blah, blah. If we, if we practice this enough, when we've got time to at this point in preseason, you're going to be flying because we're going to make some changes. That I think that's that's kind of our job as coaches to, to you know, let the athletes know that there is a technical model we are using the best of the technical model from weightlifting, powerlifting, um, sprinting, but you're a rugby player, so we need to make sure you're sort of within the walls of this technical model, but it's not going to be the, the most, uh, you're not going to be an elite 100-meter sprinter. That's okay, you're a rugby player. Mm-hmm. So just having that conversation with them, obviously we need to operate from a technical model as coaches, but recognizing that we're training rugby players and there's 100 things that we need to do and just framing, you know, again, identifying the gaps and then just framing, okay, we're doing this here because, you know, X, Y, Z. I don't know if you can hear the church going off in the background. So. Yeah, I just heard it. It's all good. I wouldn't have heard it if you didn't bring it up. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> I think what you said about the, the chaotic nature of rugby as well is, is something that people will tend to forget more with speed stuff than with anything else. I think like when you look at like a game of rugby, you, you might still get people that are relatively slow relatively unagile unathletic but they'll still make tons of breaks and it's not it's just because they've got that higher rugby iq like agility i think is the biggest one for rugby iq as far as like it yes moving better helps you move more efficiently but if you if you step too late you ain't gonna you're not gonna avoid the defender no matter what and a lot of people will make that they'll try and step around a defender but they'll be within within reach and, and then it's just too late i think that's something that people tend to forget about so it's again it's just rugby practice i think i want to move on to i think you brought this up as far as going to primer sessions for rugby so when we're talking about primer sessions i've posted one or two on my youtube channel i think it's a valuable time particularly for amateurs because a lot of guys just don't have that much time to get in the gym so when they do they've got to prioritize their strength work but they can't prioritize strength work potentially the day before a game but they've got that time free. Like, you know, typically you get a working guy that have some time on Friday free, but they're afraid to go to the gym because they're petrified of being tired for the Saturday game. What's your approach for yeah. primer sessions that you use with both your amateur, semi-pro and professional guys? All right, so primer sessions, yes, I think uh, really, really important. It's interesting to hear you talk about how useful it can be for amateur athletes as well having i did an article recently on this on, on my on my website and i was, it was basically it was a bit of a literal literary lit review for me and um, to understand 
you know, we understand the effects of, of, of primers. So uh, potentiation and affects your hormonal status in a positive way. And what, what I was reading was there's not really, there's, there's agreed principles, of course, and there's not really an agreed protocol. I don't know if there will be, but one, one of the, oh, I should say at the start, let me go back. We don't use primers. We don't use primers. And hmm. um, it's something that I want to bring in next year. And I'm actually going to uh, document it and use it as my, my master's thesis. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So I, I want it to be, you know, it's going to be legit. And if it, if it, if it affects athletic performance, then, then awesome. If it doesn't, you know, the thesis is still there. I'll just say, yeah, this primer protocol didn't work. <laughs> um, so what, what I was seeing in the research was there's also not, it can be up to 48 hours before. Yeah. So in that sense, you say we do currently use a primer, but you know, I think that's, that's a far reach. It can be the day before, or it can be the morning of the game. So I want to try a six hour, six hour before. Uh, okay. And I want to try heavy strength stuff coupled with sprints and to see if that affects hormonal status positively, which obviously will measure. I'll be working with St. Mary's University on that and some athletic jumps. So I need to kind of map it all out and do a, a good proposal for this, but it's certainly something I'm interested in. And like you said, I can really see uh, the value of it. It's something that I know a lot of guys do. I, I do it before judo fights or BGJ competitions. I mm-hmm. wouldn't want to compete without doing some sort of primer. And yeah, so something that I can't say definitively, like, uh, oh, hey, this is this is what I recommend, etc. Because there's principles there, and I definitely there's evidence. There's evidence there. There's unquestionable evidence that it works. But it's like it's such an individual thing. Can we can we as an industry get it down to a precise time? I don't know. Probably not. But I want to try. Um, mm-hmm. And can we get it down to like a precise series of exercises like is is like french contrast training is that the best way to do it or is it simply some heavy strength lifts rest and just like i don't know but you know if we do this podcast again at some point i'll, I'll let you know what i think yeah i'm keen we'll do it we'll do it again next year because that's i've I, so i said about maybe not doing the strength stuff the day before again like so my primers are always a day before a game just because especially for amateurs is just that extra time, like before a game, you, you know, sometimes games kick off at 12. Sometimes they even kick off at like even earlier. And, and in general, you, you know, they plan on going to the gym on a Friday. They've got this time. And it's just a good a good way because I think like during the week, that's when you can get in a lot more volume, which then steers you, that tends to steer you a little bit away from, you know, the jumps and the, and the, the high intensity stuff that requires like low volume. And so then I like, I've just started introducing like low volume strength work on that Friday and I'm seeing nothing negative. So I'm like, well, if we can get this extra st- strength stimulus in, in season and actually not, not only have it not be a negative on that game, it's actually a positive on that game. Like, why would we not do it? You know, outside of the potential, just inconvenience of training the day before a game, but once people wrap their mind around it, they're okay. Do you ever have your guys in on the day after a game? Obviously, this is the opposite to a primer, like a sort of recovery session, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it if you have those guys in on like a Sunday. Yeah, so, well, we actually play on Sundays in Serie A. Oh, okay. So, uh, Mondays are recovery days. Um, they they need to go in. This is Recovery is self-led, so they have various options, uh, which can be a 20-minute 
flush session on the bike. It can be going to the pool, a 20-minute, like, easy 2 out of 10, you know, session followed by stretching. I've even included a really brisk walk with the missus or the dog followed by oh, yeah. stretching. <laughs> so it's not something that I, it's something I see a lot of value in. I think it's really, really important. And if you want to perform, like, as soon as you, you know, the better you recover, the better you're, you're going to be ready to, to start your performance training. But it's a decision that we made to not not sort of hold their hands on, you know, give them the information. And at the start of the season, we run those sessions. Like for the first three or four sessions, you know, we went to the pool, we're showing them exactly. So there's clarity on what it is that will make you feel better. And also, I know that some of them might not do it, but by doing it with me the first couple of times, it might be like, hmm, I actually feel better doing that yeah. uh, last night. So I think I will continue with that. So that that's how we kind of operate the recovery sessions. Yeah, see see value in it, but uh, so at some point, you know, the boys have got to just, you know, take care of themselves and, and get what needs to be done done without yeah. me being there. But that's that's the huge thing is getting their buy-in. I think that's like once you've done it and people feel they, – they understand that they feel better, they'll go – and particularly with the, the, the flush sessions, I, I, you know, for people that have to go into a gym or have to go to somewhere to go do it, like any day where you've just got to do some sort of conditioning or, or aerobic work, like most of the time you're going to be staring at your trainers and you're going to be like, no, nah, I can't be bothered to do this. This is a waste of time. I'm just going to, you know, because there's just so much other, so many other things that people can do with their time, but they always feel better after. And so, you, you know, if you hold your hand, I like that approach. If you hold their hand through it, then they're like, Oh, I didn't think I was gonna. This was gonna work, but I actually feel so much better. So now I want to keep doing it, and hopefully they keep remembering that because sometimes they don't. And I mean, you know, you got levels of of let's say athletic commitment to mm-hmm. the program, and uh, there's even guys that go too far. And you, you know, yeah, I'm coming in not to not to train anyone, but I'm just coming in to train myself. And I've caught the guy that is, he's done his flush session, he's done his stretching, but now he's smashing out supersets of biceps with shrugs and some chin ups. I was like, look, buddy, tomorrow we're going to train pretty hard. Like, don't, don't tie yourself out. You know, I'm happy if you yeah. get a light pump on your arms, but like, relax. <laughs> That's funny. Is there, do you, do you differentiate with different levels of ex- experience as far as autonomy on their training? You mentioned there with the recovery stuff that it's, it's fairly autonomous. Is, do, you, do you leave older guys to, or, or more experienced guys to choose either volumes or exercises or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, whew, probably about, I kind of look at it in, in a quarter of four and you've got the, the young guys that just have no sort of decision-making to do when they're just learning how to mm-hmm. squat, how to press up, all that stuff. For the older guys that are further along or the, the higher training age, and um, exercise selection absolutely. There's always extra. There's on the Olympic lifts on w- which squat you want to prefer. The only the only thing there is that once you decided, so okay, we've got this block of six weeks. You're doing trap bar. That's that's what you're doing. You're doing trap bar for the next six weeks because there's a skeleton program of of you know volume that we need to with the intensity so so that's that's good and then there are options of pop-ups if someone's got say a body comp top-up they know that they can come in at friday at this time and i'll be there and this will be the session but we'll just have that conversation when we start the block of like okay what what is it you're looking for for this block what is the focus mm-hmm. here's the scale program so here's the like you have to come for these sessions 
here's the optional sessions, which he, you know, this guy and this guy is not going to because he's got more time out with the rugby coach doing some uh, absolute speed work. But for you, I think we'll get more um, thinking into next season as well. I think we'll get more bang for a buck by putting a bit more volume through you on the Friday, as an, as an example. This way we're setting you up to sort of gain some, some lean muscle mass, which if you're a 23-year-old tight head prop, that's not, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world um, mm-hmm. to, to have an option to do that. Yeah. So you can you, you can also individualize. So you've got the skeletons, but then you can come up like to, to really give govern the, the overall overriding processes and, and volumes and intensities. But you've got also lots of individual stuff. And what I like about that is that it can be physical stuff as far as like getting, I don't know, like, you know, getting stronger necks or getting stronger particular body parts or whatever it is, or, or it can even be specific skill. Cause you, you know, you can think about it from a physical standpoint where how much recovery are you demanding of your body, but you can also think of it as a time aspect of, well, how much time have you got in a day to do this stuff? Yeah. And that's where, you know, there's, there's more, more, uh, well, no, there's not more autonomy, but the, the pros have, you know, I've got a good group of 15 guys that are, that are full time. Hmm. So they have more of those options because they have more time. The, so let's go straight to the, the other guys that work full-time and come in and, and hit three times a week training, which is gym-based and rugby-based. Mm-hmm. They'll have autonomy around, like, telling me they can't do this exercise. Or, like, they'll never say I can't do this exercise, but they'll ask me about this exercise because they've been sat down all day, blah, blah, blah. And your strength session that day, if you're an amateur, it might be you need to do this mobility circuit. I'm going to write this up in the wall because, you, you, you know, you, you're in Milan in the car. You drove back to here. It's an hour and a half away. We could like do your heavy squat that you were supposed to do, but then you're probably not going to do it well. It's probably going to like mess you up because you have to go out to rugby and you have to complete a rugby session of 60 minutes. So, you know, that, that would just be a bit stupid to do. Hmm. So, yeah, the, I guess there's, there's something in, in two different parts, but it's always kind of guided by just a good conversation around like what's best for you. Like I know what the rugby coach needs from you, I know what we need from you the weekend. I know what we need from you three years' time from now. Like, and you've just told me what's happened in your life today. Like, this is what I think is the best solution. What do you think? There's one time, now that we're talking about this, I had an example flashed into my head where the boys were under a bit of fatigue because we weren't playing and we were in a heavy block of training, right? Okay, yes, we need fatigue. We need we need stress to get adaptation, sorry. And it was it was it was getting a bit much for him. And he was just kind of, you know, and I, I said to him, I was like, look, mate, you're not going to get faster this block. The goal of this block is to get faster. You're not going to get faster. What do you mean? I'm like, the, the first 20 minutes of the session, you, you're you like not running fast enough to get fast. You're still warming up because you're saving yourself. I don't know what you're saving yourself for. And like, I can, it can be quite direct with my guys because they know I want the best for them. Like, I'm not, I may be being mm-hmm. a dickhead, but like, just honestly, like, like, it's okay if you don't get faster for me. I just don't expect to get faster. And we ended up doing this to the whiteboard. Write up your week of training that you want to do. Right, right up the week. Monday, Tuesday, I wrote Monday, Tuesday, I wrote our schedule. There's power on Monday. Then we have the lower body left Monday night. Tuesday, we've got the circuits. And da, 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 da. Wednesday off. Da, da, da. Okay. He was a bit confused. Like, well, is this, is this a trick? It's not a trick, mate. Like, I want you to, to, to write. Because this guy, this guy's really, really good rugby player. He he's not he's not an old rugby player, but like he's he's not at the start of his career. So I'd say he's like sort of mid 
in the middle of his career, in, in his prime. And you could, you know, he wants to take some some initiative. Awesome. So like, okay, you you write up what you want from this block, like in terms of what the days could look like for you, then we'll have a conversation. Like I'm not saying like that's gonna be completely possible, but let's work out around rugby. Da, da, da. And it turns out he wrote up the exact same thing that we 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 already kind of had planned. I was like, okay, for me, this seems like it's more of a fatigue management thing. So listen, let's do this and that. And, and we kind of came to a unified sort of agreement for the week and then what it might be like. But also then knowing that that fatigue will get will get pulled off you because we're taking away volume. Um, so sorry I went on a big rant there. No, it's fine. Yeah, it just had a flat. It's not a rant. It's a good example. It, it's like it's sometimes people, well, I think it's a lot of things like, I think that's the benefit we touched on at the beginning is ha- having like that year long macro cycle, knowing that you're going to do other things at other times gives you license to not worry about that when you're not doing it and it's not the focus. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when it's speed, you're, you're thinking, Oh, you know, I'm resting too much. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to be get, I'm going to lose my fitness or whatever it is. And it's like, we're not working this fitness, particularly for this session, especially for speed. Mm-hmm. We want you to be as fast as you can for each one because when it comes to repeat sprint ability, the biggest influence on uh, repeat sprint ability is your top end speed. So if you're slow, it doesn't matter how fit you are, you're just going to maintain being slow. Whereas if you're fast, like, and it's been shown time and time again in research, it's like people that maintain maintain the best repeat speed ability was just because they were really fucking slow to begin with. And so that's not what you want. <laughs> like, it sounds like, oh, that's good. They maintain their, their speed. No, because their speed was trash. So, yeah. 100%. Um, this guys me perfectly into the next question uh, about the, you said about this one. Pre-training, uh, screening process. Why, the one I use, a, oh, sorry. So I use a, my pre-training screening process is done like on a weekly basis. They have, they have license within each week to then you know pull back if they're feeling off or whatever but for the most part you know we'll set a schedule for the week depending on what their work and social schedule looks like for the week and rugby schedule of course and we'll plan it out like that and and then we'll we'll, if if we dip too hard into fatigue we'll 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 react to it the next week but overall it it works out pretty fine do you as someone that's in there in the gym with them every single session is there a pre-training process that you do with them each day, each warm-up or something that you go through to guide those adjustments that you, you like to make? This season, no, I'll be honest with you. So in terms of let's go in season post-game, you know, we've got the physio check-in and the medical triage and, and then you get the information, okay, who's modified, who's not modified. I used to do wellness data. I didn't like it. In my situation, I can see why big organizations need wellness data. But to be honest with you, like I wasn't going to be, I, I could check it in the morning and see what guys are reporting, but it, it, I wasn't ever going to use that data again. So I was like, why am I doing that? Why don't I just do what I'm doing anyway and save everybody time? And just when they arrive in the morning, Tuesday morning, our first performance session, um, like, hey man, how, how are you? How's the shoulder? Mm-hmm. How's, how's When we go on to, and I used to also, before COVID, I used to do velocity profiling, which I like. I may do it again, but this season, again, I've, I've you can just, when you know your athletes and you've already used for like a period of time, even four sessions, the velocity-based training, you can kind of know, 
right? That guy's squatting slow today, so he's not going to be able to hit 85% even for three, which is, which is fine because he's strong, so that's going to be quite taxing on him. He already told me he's a bit fatigued, so you just go in and set reps up. And I used to do a pre, pre-session briefing for every session. Now what happens is the guys come in, and then music on, cool, straight down to the ground for the ground mobility, which is individualized. And I'll just go around every one of them at this point uh, and be like, blah, 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 quick conversation. All right, listen, the main lift is the trap bar. You're going to use 160 for your first set, and then we'll see how we go. Okay? Okay, cool. Hey, you you got to use, you know, 160, but for all five sets, because, you know, we need to put load with you. We need more volume. Um, you didn't play the weekend. You should be good. Like, what do you think? Yep, yeah, yep, cool. I think that that has been quite refreshing for, for me because I'm not, sounds bad i'm doing less work but i'm being more impactful i feel yeah no i have made the same switch i think i did it a few years back with as far as like we would do i've done it with people in person where we've tried broad jumps or or vertical jumps just to to gauge it or we've tried you know a little mini questionnaire based on you know you, you, you give yourself a rating out of 10 and then we've i've also tried like with the strength stuff like and we'll still be flexible with the strength stuff. And this is something we still might do is like, you know, here's your first set and then do the, the other sets based on how that first one feels. And I think that's for a general approach anyway is, is always good. I don't think that's particularly something that's just for rugby. Yeah, 100%. And then even like, I know guys that do that, like the, you know, their their focus is just powerlifting because as we've already said, stress is stress. And sometimes if you've been in the car for too long or you've had a you know, fight with the missus or whatever it is, like, you're just not feeling it and that's fine but then ramming your head against a brick wall doesn't help now as far as the the power stuff goes i just think i think sometimes there's a little bit too much data that turns athletes off and there is a definitely an intuitive thing about it like like how how do you explain like the barber the barbarians or how do you explain people that get like there are some people that play their best games after a heavy night on the boots so we can't say that this, it's a stupid, that's not to go say everyone does that, right? But it's true. So there must be something, there must be a lot more psychological than, than we, can, we can get through data. So having a conversation with people is, is massive, right? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. When we were doing weekly CMJs and uh, using OptiJump on, on the Tuesday before the session, our, so our, our winger who, who, who scored like, Ter- terribly, terribly. He's like 48. He's usually a 56 jumper, no arm swing. And I was like, oh God, right, okay. He's tired, he's tired. But he seemed like he was okay. It was just a bit, he wasn't ready yet. He wasn't like in the session. Yeah. So obviously with the power cleans, I was like, right, we're going to like just 80 kilos, let me see it. As he got into the session, he hit a PB power clean. He hit 120 kilograms. And I was like, right, okay. He started, the music was on, he started to, but like you say, the psychology is so important. I think the data, yeah, we, we need that. It's really good to track. And if you have lots of, if you have a large staff and you can do all that and you can get your five and 10% and two and a half percent and work out fatigue. But I think it's not, it doesn't paint the whole picture. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How much psychology can affect, affect performance and, you know, it can be, it can be a difference of five minutes as well. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we do everything with our brains. Like the body's there, but the brain kind of governs everything. So you've got to, it's difficult because then you, it's, and why I didn't like um, sports psychology when I was in university was because it's all, 
there's no it's, it's so hard so much harder to quantify everything um and so yeah. as sports science people it, it, you know it's not it's getting definitely not pushed to the side but it you know it is just it's just people are resistant to it because it's difficult to quantify things speaking of things that are quite difficult to quantify actually this is easy to quantify have you got have you still got 15 minutes left or so to to keep going yeah 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 okay. beautiful difficult to quantify now is how sort of grappling has influenced your coaching so you're a judo athlete you now joined everyone it seems that's been doing bjj i thought i was late and then and then since i've come like so many other people are joining because and, and i'm happy because it's just i'm unhappy because it's not the people that i whose ear i chew off and i tell everyone that, I, that asked me about it that they should go and do it but everyone seems to be doing it so it's really good is there something from judo or bjj that's uh influenced like either as, as rugby players as the skill or um your strength and conditioning how you go about training your athletes yeah, lots of things, lots of things. I guess, you know, my, my background in grappling is, is I started at a university after taking time out of rugby and time to kind of recover from, from shoulder surgeries. Judo helped you recover. And so not, judo didn't help me recover. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Is it not more, it's just as brutal. Oh, yeah. When I started, so I had, you know, I finished rugby and then I had like, three years I think of just getting my shoulder right um, after surgery there was two two surgeries that were just not successful and that came down to strength and conditioning it's a big part hmm. of why um, I'm a strength coach and then and then I played a year of uni rugby just to make mates because I was I got my shoulder at a point where I could play sort of you know I could play rugby just not the level that I wanted to play but then after that I was kind of like all right I've made mates rugby's good but I want I want a new challenge and yeah judo certainly was that for me and there's lots of things I learned, like, like, you know, I was involved in, you know, in judo, well, it's, it's like BJJ, you know, there's sparring, but I, when I got to a certain level, obviously, after a certain time, this wasn't straight away, God, no, but you could go to the National um, Centre for Randori, which is sparring with mm-hmm. the people that are fighting for Great Britain, which is just another level. So things like work rate, I mean, to go through the process of, of getting your judo black belt, there's a technical way to get your black belt, and then there's the you know you fight for your belts. So you know, I was always aware of how much work is required by doing rugby, okay, and, and being involved with rugby. But I think judo took it to another level because just some of those guys like sleep on the tatami. They'll, they'll train in the morning, sleep on the tatami, wake up, train in the afternoon, eat some food sleep in the tatami, and then they've got sparring at night. So that was a huge, that was a huge, did it reinforce it? Did it just really wake position is and how unimportant strength and conditioning can be, if I can say that. So yeah, I did my, my first, my first judo to fight to find out, you know, what it's all about after six months of training, I, I don't know. And I was against the black belt and I was yellow belt, which, think in, in BJJ terms is like a white belt with a three or four tab, three, two mm-hmm. tabs. And I was in the I was in the best shape of my life. I was like, I was like, oh, you know, I, I say best shape is in body composition. I'm stronger now, but I was I was strong. Everything was good. Okay. Perfect preparation from SSC point of view. I go in with my yellow belt. This black belt is like feeling me out, feeling me out, good movement. You know, he's he's an old boy. He's won British Championships, but he's 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 just there. He's just it's social judo for him. Okay, 
I'm there, like ready to fight. He feels me out, 90 seconds, boom, ciao. I'm, I'm thrown flat on my back with force, uh, really good force. And I'm knackered. I'm like 90 seconds and I'm like feeling sick. This guy's just like, give me, give me a hand up. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm, okay. So skill acquisition was really highlighted to me then and that going through that process, you know, helped my judo. And I think the, the philosophies of judo really influenced my personality and, and my approach in SNC. And doing BJJ, to, to circle back to that, I could talk all day about grappling, so I'm sorry. Circle back to, really, there's not a lot of adults that are doing judo. Everyone kind of, the thing about judo is there's still a power element to judo because you're, you're, on, you're on your feet. Mm-hmm. By going to the ground, you, you take that away, really. So BJJ is a bit more friendly, I would say, to new I know obviously there's there's there's, there's levels to it, okay, but you remove power. Um, mm-hmm. So a wee guy can be a big guy because that's what that's the original sort of idea. You're using your legs more than your arms. You, you know, a wee guy can be a big guy. Awesome. So when I came to Italy, I was like, and I, I'd entered some tournaments before, like open grappling tournaments, just to see how my judo had gone. But that's where I sort of kicked on with BJJ because I saw that. There wasn't that much judo around here, but there was there was there was a lot of BJJ, and I think the the same principles apply that I learned from judo to BJJ with the skill acquisition, the patience when you're in competition because I'm competing. Although I've, I've goosed, uh, I'm a bit injured just now, but there's the preparation, which is for me is, is the, the the philosophy of kaizen, which is taken from Japanese philosophy, just around um, making daily improvement on whatever whatever your focus is. So for me, that strength and condition, that's really important. And then when you're actually competing and when you're in the moment where you need to be in the moment, being present, the mushen, if I'm saying that correctly, if I'm not, I apologize, is where you're kind of free-minded, you're open, you've got all your training, you know, everything's done, you just need to be present and react. And that, I think, going through that process has helped me understand some of the guys' mindset when, when they need to play. And the fact that and what I'm going to do now and let you talk is on game day, the SNC, just shut up, get mm-hmm. out of the way, support the team. Yeah, I, I have dialed that back a lot as a as a actual rugby coach as well. Like okay. it's and and I think that's a little influence from Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but it's just you know yeah you've got all the tools. Me shouting isn't going to help you. It's just going to overwhelm you a little bit more. And you know what I'm seeing might even be wrong. And, and that's one of the things I actually. I don't like as much about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is in competition. Like there is a g- good deal of coaching on the mats. Now, they'll tell you exactly what to do. Yeah. Like, and I think, I don't know, I don't like it, but it's it's here, it's there and it's there. I don't think it's going to change, but I don't, I personally don't like it. Like the whole point is that, you know, if you're, if it's one-on-one battle. If you've then got a coach in the corner who sees a leg that's sneaking somewhere that it's not supposed to be, or someone's getting a sneaky grip, Calling that outs, like I don't know, I don't, I don't like. I think it should be mano e mano, you know. I, I don't like, yeah, I, and I think what you said about as far as like being in the moment is 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 huge. As far as like just getting your skills down, and everyone knows anyone that's listening that's grappled. It's when you're a white belt. It, it, it's you know BJJ is like absolutely one of the best things that you can do for your fitness. And then the better you get, <laughs> the, the less work it is. And now I'm like I'm a purple belt, and I, I can just. I'll go with white or blue belt sometimes and, and they'll be, they'll go so hard and I'll just be relaxed. And, you know, maybe I'll only, I won't get as much success as I could do if I was trying really hard, but I'm just practicing my skills and I'm practicing my reactions. And I think 
that's a big influence that I've had as far as like getting, we love getting, you know, we can, we can really measure progress quite well in the gym because we've got weights, we've got volumes, we've got things to track body composition, everything like that. When it comes to rugby skills and stuff, it's a lot more difficult to quantify. You know, you're not even with like things that you could, you could potentially quantify how far you pass it or how far you kick it, but that's still not really relevant particularly when you're talking about like game sense and we spoke about like agility as well. You can measure how far someone can do the, the T test or whatever, but whether that means shit for their ability to, to break through the line and find a gap or make a tackle against someone that's stepping like that. No, that, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So there is something to be said about getting lots of reps in of just different aspects of rugby. And I think that's something that I really took from jujitsu. I'm like, like there's you got brown and black belts that have been doing this for 10 years and they're still just working basic triangle mechanics and it's the same thing when you look at professional rugby players like you'll get that's all the top scrum halves fly halves whatever they're doing their kicks they're doing their basic passing they're doing all those drills and then you look at the amateurs and you know they're, they're there 15 minutes early for training and they're just sort of standing around passing the ball around in a circle with their with their strong hand and doing whatever you know I think that's if if we can get if you can move that across, and again you do that for jujitsu as well, where people will just you know every open mat ends up just being a randori rather than working some some position specific stuff. You know, there's, there's, we're, we're humans at the end of the day. We want to do the stuff that we like and that we're already good at. But if you can work on your weaknesses, you can work on your skills. It's in the moment, it's probably less fun, but it's I think long term a lot more rewarding. Absolutely, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that about the 15 minutes uh, guys passing the ball, but that's something that we we brought in this year is that individual time. Like I know teams use it at the end of the session to work on whatever your skill is. We actually had a bit of trouble with that with our squad. That We brought it in at the start, the uh, mm-hmm. individual work on time, skill, right? Some of the guys, to be fair, and this is a this is a coaching. This is this is from the, the staff that we need to address. Is that we weren't really a hundred percent sure what drills they should be doing. So for next year, that's one thing that we want to we want to bring back in. But we want to have a, a bank of exercises that okay, like okay, number nine is a bit of an easy example. But oh, you're a thirteen, and then we've noticed this in your games. This is this is the three exercises that are probably going to serve you best in the 15, 15 minutes. And like you said, it's not. It, it may not be the most fun thing to do, but it, it is on game day when, oh, you're in that position, you need to take the ball, like you've nailed it because you've done, you know, 100 reps on Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It doesn't even take 100 reps, right? Like people, you say that and it sounds overwhelming. Like sometimes it just takes like 10 reps. Like, you know, athletes I've been coaching with, they're like, oh, I'm struggling dealing with the high ball. I'm like, all right, practice it once. And then all of a sudden it's just, it's like, it's instantly better because you're actually thinking about that process same thing for what we said for speed i guess it's all aspects right you need to you need to do what you want to improve so last two questions number one and this is something i'm I'm, um, touching on quite a lot because my own personal biases but with your athletes do you use any sort of meditation as far as recovery goes or maybe for the psychological benefits or anything like that or is it something you leave to them for their own devices Uh, i don't i don't do Anything of that short answer. I like it. All right, fair enough. That's have you have you used anything as far as any psychological training with them, or is it, do you have someone on staff that does that as well, or is it so part that, of their own aspect that they work on? Yeah. Now, if 
if a player asks me about, uh, Fraser, what do you think about meditation? Or can I start incorporating this? Then I would be, absolutely. Like when, when you're thinking of doing that, that's pro- it's really a good time to downregulate before you go to sleep. Or it's really a good time to downregulate, you know, after this session, before, you know, your six hours before this session. I'll guide the downregulation via, you know, what, what we're doing in the week. Mm. But I'm not a psychologist. And I'm not. I'm not here to pretend that I'm some sort of expert. I'm that, that I'm not. So I'll say, okay, I'm the SNC coach. What we're really talking about here is down regulation, which is really important for recovery. Which is, I'm so happy that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. This would be the best times I think you could fit it in. If you want to learn more about it, like show me where you're getting this uh, information from, and let's have a conversation because I'm interested in understanding what it is that you're wanting to bring into your own training. And good job for being proactive. That would be my kind of conversation if an athlete came up to me, which hasn't happened yet. So ah, maybe we can, we can hope. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe you'll give, show them this podcast and listen, and they'll think, yeah. Or maybe they already do it and they don't tell you about it, or they don't talk about it because they, you know, they think it's woo woo. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, yeah. But I, I would completely encourage that. I know a lot of the guys kind of, and it's not meditation, and it's not. It's, it's more social socializing, really. But it's a way that they down regulate is just. So some of them after the session sit down on the mats uh, with the ball, have a chat, have a stretch. Totally, they just totally like player led. Not, mm-hmm. not. Never, we never spoke about it. And um, they'll play this little kicking game back and forth, really casually. And that's not meditation. That's just socialising. But it's a way of recognise that they kind of down regulate after we've hyped up the music for an hour and we've been like throwing banter back and forth and hitting targets. But yeah, yeah. yeah I have to be honest. I've never. Um, mentioned or guided that or brought that in because I'm not it's not you know I'm just kind of I'd be out in my lane there I wouldn't be comfortable yeah. like being here with someone with that but that's that's actually why I asked the question because you know I, I've toyed with the idea of incorporating it um, and the most I've really done is just encourage people to look into it to see if they want to do it and if they don't you know I'm not giving any more pushes but as you say like that's not we're not psychologists we're not meditation teachers or whatever like our job is is physical and like you say psychological helps physical but you know that's how it goes last question then what are some one-off physical changes or one-off changes that athletes can make that will have the biggest payoff for them i say um, i say what are some give me one give me your top Right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with psychology then, because uh, <laughs> that's probably where you get a base bang for you. Probably speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say every everyone. I mean, I'm going to make an assumption here in a wide statement, but you could probably look back five years, three years, ten years ago, and be like, "Man, why why was I doing that? I would be so much better here if I just did this action ten years ago." I can say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. I think if you can, if you go through that process, you know, thinking respectively, retrospectively, and then think, okay, what, what am I doing now? And what uh, was my goal to be a better player or whatever? In t- 10 years' time, will I, will I look back and think, man, why, why didn't I get up earlier to get to the gym to do that? Because, because I'm a little bit tired in the here and now or because I was too lazy or, you know, insert whatever example. But I think the biggest change people could make is going, all right, I'm now 10 years older. Where am I? What were my actions, you know, 
here? And is there something that I can change that, that will affect my goal? At, you know, I don't know what that change may be, but I just think we can get a lot more out of, even me, this is, I'm, I'm thinking about myself and every season I have a new, you know, lots of new ideas and I have to pick maybe three or whatever, but I'm just thinking, man, why, why didn't I bring that in? Or why didn't I think of that? Or, Yes, that action I need to do every day to to whatever you know. No, that's that's actually a bloody brilliant answer. It's it's one that I didn't know I would say, but now I know that that would be my answer as well. It's like, it's like because it's it goes from both ways because you know if you if you look back on your last year and you're like oh these are all the things I thought I was going to do and then I didn't even bother doing them because I wasn't really I haven't proactively thought about it then you haven't gained any knowledge even if you've done something in, in like. Yeah, maybe like like we say, we tried with the counter movement jumps or the broad jumps to to measure if players are ready. You did that, it didn't quite work. Or what you said with your primer, you know, you try it, and if it doesn't work, at least then you've got the data to say, okay, I'm not going to waste my time with that anymore. I'm going to do something else. But I think a lot of people like come at this from like a a reactive standpoint. They just see stuff and then they just do it, and they see what other people are doing and they just copy it. Whereas if you if you take some time to you know, an initiative to write down exactly what it is. And he doesn't, you know, you don't have to write, get a book and, and a, pen, a pen and paper and write it down. You can just put it on your notes, but it's, and, and have it somewhere that you can remember it. But if you proactively write down what it is that you want to achieve and then how you're going to go about doing it, even if you don't achieve it, as long as you come back to it and you say, okay, I messed this up, but the, you'll, you'll get a reason why. And then you fail again, but it, you know, you could fail five years on a row, but if you get it on the sixth, that's more chance of success than if you never did that and you never actually took any steps. Yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. Man. Thank you for giving me that answer, mate. All right, plug your your socials and your website. How can people follow more? Follow your YouTube, your Instagram. Find out more about what you do because you do online coaching as well, right? Uh, well, yes, yes. No, I'm on I'm on YouTube at Coach FMT. Bit of a boring uni story we don't need to get into but YouTube <laughs> at Coach FM same on Instagram at Coach FMT and my the website which I've just this year you know I put that up it's rugbystrengthandconditioning.com um, there are a few blog posts that people might be interested in if they're looking at primers and want to know more that's cool and yeah that's that's kind of it we'll follow along with your stuff thanks for joining mate this has been this has been a really good chat and I thank you for giving me that answer for that last question because I've asked I've asked it to a few people and now that's like Oh yeah, that's that's the exact change. That's <laughs> so good stuff. Nice no, man, it's been fun. It's been fun. All right, hey there, it's TJ once again. Thank you for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm just here one more time. I know you thought you were rid of me, but uh, I got something pretty cool that I want to send your way. I've tried to condense all the most important things that you need to make progress: the training, the mindset, the nutrition, everything you hear in these podcasts and more, presented in a free two-week program called Rugby Muscle Kickoff. Through kickoff, you'll have access to two weeks of emails delivered directly to your inbox, two weeks of videos, education, and interaction, and access to tools, strategies, tactics previously reserved only for paying clients. To join, simply click the link link in the description of this podcast, the one that says kickoff, or if you want to go old school and type it out, then crack on, access it at rugby-muscle.com forward slash kickoff, all one word. Cheers for listening to the podcast. See you guys next time.